0: The title of my message tonight is Forgiveness Brings an End to a Long List of Wrongs. Forgiveness Brings an End to a Long List of Wrongs. If you would, open up your Bible to Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. We won't be in one specific book tonight, but this is the central theme of my message of this evening. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, listen to this, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You know, forgiveness is such a beautiful thing when we're on the receiving end. Not so much when we're on the giving end. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord, I need you, God, tonight. Lord, I need you to move in a mighty way, God. Church doesn't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint the message, anoint my lips, Lord, to preach the gospel. Only have me say what you'd want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got saved when I was about six years old at an event called The Power Team. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of The Power Team, Um, but uh, they would come to Wichita and uh, they were these... uh, large guys, these strong guys, and they would perform these incredible acts. And while they did that, they would share the gospel. So I remember uh, we used to go up there as a church, and I was real little, I was six years old, and I remember uh, getting saved there at the Power Team Convention. It's kind of interesting that I would get saved at the Power Team Convention, and one of my favorite hobbies is to lift. So it's kind of weird how God works those things out, but I got saved when I was six, and then uh, I remember I got baptized on Kansas Day, which is kind of strange, but I'll always remember when I got baptized on, which was Kansas Day. And then shortly after that, I had one of the most spiritual dreams that I've ever had. Remember, I'm six years old, and uh, I have this dream. Sometimes dreams just start. You know, you, just, you start dreaming something, and I was out in my parents' pasture, and uh, it was just weird. All of a sudden, I look out there, and I see Jesus, and he's holding up a Bible just like this. It's a black Bible, and on it it says the Holy Bible, and I'll never forget it. He was standing out there, and he was holding this Bible, and then all of a sudden he said, come. He said one word, come, and then out of nowhere, it was just like Noah's Ark got uh, uh, flooded out, and all of these animals were coming out of the pasture. I know this sounds weird, But they were coming out and they were going to Jesus. And I remember, I need to go to Jesus. If these animals are smart enough to listen to the sound of his voice, I need to go to Jesus. It was an incredible dream, I'll never forget it. I woke up, first thing I did is I went, my parents are here and I went and told my parents about it. I said, you'll never believe what I dreamed. And shortly in that dream after that, uh, uh, I remember uh, there was this like chair, it was almost like an office chair and it had wheels on it. And it's starting to go around the earth and the earth starts to quake, and the ground starts to crack below me, and the ground turned a blood red. And looking back, I started meditating on this, but the ground was red, it was starting to quake. Remember, I was six, so this would have been in uh, 94, 95. Uh, like Kansas wasn't having earthquakes then, right? Now we're having earthquakes, so it's kind of weird, but anyways, the ground was, had turned red, it was cracked, and this chair was going around, moving around real fast, and all of a sudden, I was forced to sit in the chair, I was forced to sit in the chair i couldn 't figure out, and after that, I woke up and looking back, I, I meditated on it, and I was thinking, maybe that was uh, maybe that's how it's going to be you know maybe that 's the judgment seat i don 't know it was just weird. it forced me to sit in this chair, and i 'll never forget the dream and uh, and so I, I still have that chair, believe it or not, so if the ground ever starts to turn red and starts to quake, I know something's about to happen, but uh, it was kind of weird so uh, shortly after that, shortly after that, and the reason why I'm sharing this part of my testimony is I know I was saved when I was six. When you read Acts chapter 2, 17, you can turn there. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Whether it was a vision or dream, I believe it was spiritual, and God brought me that. I don't know why, uh, but it was just kind of a confirmation that I'd been saved. Um, and then my parents shared with me. I got called to preach this year, as Joplin had shared. Uh, Pastor Joplin had shared, and. Um, they had shared with me that when I was uh, very young, about that age, uh, that a pastor's wife, an ordained pastor's wife, had prophesied that I was going to preach someday. And they never shared that with me. Um, and so I was just thinking about all of those events that kind of shaped my childhood. And uh, so I got old, as I got older, um, I started to enter this phase of uh, disobedience. And uh, I call it a phase of life because it was about 15 years. And as I got older, I started being disobedient to God. I was disobedient a little bit to my parents and the things that I did and the things that I said. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. And as I got older, a lot of bad things started to happen to me in different ways. And looking back, I knew this was God's season of correction for my life. If you're a new believer you are going to have seasons. You're going to have seasons where you're down here. You're going to have seasons where you're up here. And in my, in John's case, this was my season of correction in my life. Had a lot of bad things happen. I was debating on sharing those, but we're not going to have time for it. And I think it's for a completely separate sermon. But I went through a lot of bad things. And um, I just, I just know that God was trying to correct me and I was being ignorant. I was being prideful. I thought I was on top of the world. I was young and immature and uh, so now fast-forward to 2009 I'd have been 21 years old so 15 years later following that uh, remember I'm uh, blatantly living in sin Uh, you know that song dead man walking spiritually I was a dead man walking and uh, I really believe if something had not changed I don't know what it was but looking back I believe maybe God would have taken my life I don't know that but that's how I feel in my spirit I feel like if something didn't change in John's life and God didn't get a hold of me, it could have been my last chance. So I remember I was still living with my parents at the time and uh, I was working at the DRC, working out at the DRC. And I remember uh, meeting this guy and he, uh, I looked up to him. He was a lot older than me, but he, he lifted weights. I was like, hey, this is cool. He invited me to work out with him. He introduced me to another man, which was Pastor Joplin. Actually worked out with Pastor Joplin. Pastor Joplin's a lot stronger than he looks, so don't mess with him. But, anyways, we started working out together, and uh, at the time, the well was Crossway. Uh, they invited me to come to church. I was like, mm, I guess. I mean, I'll appease you guys. You know, we'll keep the relationship. We'll keep working out. I'll come to church. Uh, whatever. Then I remember coming here. A little over 10 years ago, God changed my life here. I rededicated my life here to Christ. I'll never forget it. It was on a night like tonight, and Jop- Pastor Joplin had preached. And uh, before I get into that, never miss the opportunity to invite somebody to church. It's a good example. Um, but they invited me to church. I remember coming here. It was maybe a few Sundays later, and uh, Jop- Pastor Joplin had preached a, a sermon, and, and uh, I remember leaving the church, I remember leaving the church and I was so convicted, I was so convicted that I knew if I didn't rededicate my life and ask God for repentance, whatever he preached got me thinking, John, you need to repent, quit messing around, start doing my will, not yours, humble yourself. So I I leave the church, I'm in my truck, my parents live south of Mulvane, I'm on my way home. And uh, I get over here to uh, K-15 by Tacotico. I'm sitting in the left turn lane to go south. And all of a sudden, I just feel the Spirit come upon me. And I broke down in tears. I started bawling my eyes out. And I remember that light changed like three or four times, and I was just sitting there, just sobbing. It was just like the Spirit had come upon me, and I knew that God... Had, had called me to, to change my life and rededicate my life. I knew there was something more and I knew it was maybe my last chance. And so I did that. And uh, shortly after that, so, so keep in mind, I just rededicated my life. You know, now I'm on the spiritual high. And uh, shortly after that, I remember I was maybe in like the third or fourth uh, pew here at, at this church and I look in front of me and all of a sudden I see this girl. So I'm going to marry that girl. And that girl was Shanae. That's where I met my wife right here. And so I was behind Shanae. Uh, you know, we started hanging out, we started dating, then we got engaged pretty quick. And uh, some things started to happen between myself and, and her family. And uh, it was February of the following year, it would have been 2010. And by this point, I mean, unhealthy was maybe not even Uh, the appropriate term, but things had gotten unhealthy. And I want to clarify before I continue into this testimony. John's not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes that probably led up and contributed to a lot of things that happened at this specific event. And so I'm not justifying anything uh, that I did, or that anybody else did. Uh, John's not perfect, but I do know that certain things happened and led up to this event. But I remember, uh, Shanae and I got asked to, to come over to a uh, certain family member's house. There was three other family members there. Uh, I remember uh, just sitting there really, and, and one of them got up and, and really started uh, talking, and I'm just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, he gets extremely angry, furious. I'm talking extremely angry. Started saying a lot of hurtful things, and, and basically just kind of unloaded on me and at the time, I just was just sitting there. I didn't really say a whole lot. Um, I just remember sitting there, and it was just like, where's this coming from? And I kind of felt like, I'm just telling you my honest, what my feelings were. I felt like I'd got ganged up on. And that was just my honest feelings. That's how I felt. And, and it's going to lead into what I'm going to share here in my sermon. But that's how I felt. I remember sitting there. I didn't hardly say a word. And... Uh, you know, I just rededicated my life. Before that, I'd, I'd had a temper. And so thank God that for some reason, I just sat there, I didn't hardly say anything. I'm thankful that me and this family member didn't, didn't go to, to fist with each other. Uh, and nothing physically happened, it was all verbally. Um, but uh, these things happen. I was crushed. I remember leaving there bitter. I was very bitter towards uh, this individual. I was very bitter towards Sinead's family. Very bitter. You could have carved the Grand Canyon between us. That's how far apart I wanted to be from her family. I mean, I was terribly crushed. Uh, these things happen. Listen, I, I'm not glorifying what happened at all. What I'm about to glorify is how God can take a shattered relationship and mend it back together. This one event let me, left me hurt with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, Uh, confusion, um, pain. The devil is the author of confusion. All of these things weren't of God. And that's how I felt. I'm just telling you how I felt and what led up to this and why uh, these things started to happen. But simply put, I was done with these people. In my mind, I was done with them. And I remember having a, a discussion with Pastor Joplin. We were over at the DRC parking lot and he said, John... He said, don't leave. Don't run from the situation. He said, I'm your pastor. Let me try to take care, you know, let me try to do what I need to do. And uh, that was one of the first mistakes that I I made is I didn't listen to Pastor Joplin. And I still remember that conversation. We were sitting in the truck. Sinead and I ran from the situation. We didn't move another state away, but we just ran from the situation. I got married to Sinead without ever forgiving uh, Forgiving her family, or even reconciling, or even asking for forgiveness. We ran from the situation. And uh, I do remember that one of the family members reached out to me, and this was the individual that kind of lost his temper. Uh, Several months after that, asking for forgiveness, I truly believe he had forgiven me, even though I didn't ask for it. And I believe that uh, he really was sincere in his apology but I didn't really fully accept it and I wasn't really uh, sorry for my actions at the time. I was still bitter. But the devil used this one event. He used this one event to take me and separate me from God and he held me hostage. He held me hostage because everything that I did for a year and a half did not matter. We were going to church at the time, but there was a spiritual drought. Uh, I was bearing no fruit Shanae and I were miserable, very miserable. (laughs) And uh, all because of unforgiveness. All because of unforgiveness. I really believe I was holding on to the pain. Let me tell you something when you're severely wronged, it hurts. These are natural feelings to have. We're human, everybody has feelings. So one day, out of nowhere, I get this text message. It was from Shanae's mom. And she said, what a beautiful testimony would it be for us to be able to be a family again and get back together and start having family events and and do things again as a family. Instantly in that moment, instantly in that moment, I just remember something came across me. I believe it was the Holy Spirit. And impressed in my mind, Colossians 3.13, Forgives as the Lord forgave you. And at that moment, I unilaterally said, this isn't working anymore, God. This isn't working anymore. I can't keep going on. Shanae and I's marriage probably won't last if we keep doing this. And in that moment, I unilaterally, I said, you know what, whether her family deserves it or not, whether I feel that way or not, whether they forgive me or not, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to move on. Forgiveness happens one or two ways. Forgiveness happens one of two ways. Unilaterally, one-way forgiveness. Uh, This is what Christ did on the cross for us. We were justified, the debt was paid, but there was no reconciliation yet. One-way forgiveness, in my opinion, is the hardest forgiveness uh, to apply or to give somebody to release them of a wrong they've committed to you. Uh, Let me explain. One, maybe they haven't asked for forgiveness. Maybe they don't deserve it. I know I'm speaking to somebody tonight that is experiencing what I'm talking about. You have unforgiveness. Something happened and you're holding on to it and you're not letting it go. If somebody doesn't deserve it, God said forgive them. Maybe uh, they're not here anymore. Maybe something happened when you were younger. Maybe something happened uh, a few years ago and now they've died and they've moved on. You can't go ask them for forgiveness, but in your heart, God says, forgive. Maybe uh, you don't know where they moved. You don't know where they live. Forgive them. That is one-way forgiveness. Well, John, you know, a person doesn't deserve it. Oh, really? Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 60. I think it's safe to say none of us have been threatened to be stoned to death. And if we were being stoned to death, I don't think any of us would have the power to sit there and forgive somebody that's stoning us for no reason. Listen to this. Back up just a little bit. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. They hadn't asked for forgiveness. Yes, Stephen still forgave them. The other forgiveness, which is two way, this is now involves two parties. So the one that was wronged and the one that wronged the person. Somebody asks us for forgiveness, the other one forgives. This is two way. This is where reconciliation can happen. This is where the healing can happen. And really this should be what we try to focus on when we do ask for forgiveness or we need to forgive somebody is working towards reconciliation. That's the ultimate goal. It's a transaction. It takes two parties and they're not one and the same. But Jesus said, God said, no matter what, forgive those people that wrong you. Forgiveness really is just releasing a debt whether it's one way or two way but it leads to a higher chance of reconciliation. Uh, What makes it possible to forgive, and this is kind of what really uh, dwelled in me when I was was meditating on this and studying, uh, is to recognize that you have been forgiven, that we have been forgiven. Don't lose sight of this. We have all needed forgiven. Uh, No matter how big or how small, we have all needed to be forgiven. Don't let the devil keep you captive like he did me with the hurt and the pain. This is what he desires. God doesn't desire this for you. God doesn't desire for you to hold on to this pain and hold on to the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the anxiousness, everything that comes along with it. It will separate you so far from God. But he doesn't desire this for you. In fact, you can't be in right standing with God if you are unable to forgive. Let me explain. I'm not talking about the legal forgiveness part of it. That is your salvation. I'm talking about the relational forgiveness, which is conditional. I don't have to forgive somebody. They don't have to forgive me. Well, we're supposed to. That's the relational forgiveness. Lacking to forgive will distance you from God. God reminds us, forgive as I forgave you over and over and over. It's repeated throughout the Bible. In fact, God says there is no limit to how many times Someone deserves to be forgiven. Well, John's brother so-and-so, this is the 13th time they have wronged me. Yeah, we all know somebody like that, but guess what? God says forgive them. God even goes on. Turn to Luke 17, 3-4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I think it's interesting that God used the number of seven. The seven is the number of perfection or to completion. That means no matter what, how many times they wrong you, doesn't matter how big, how small, forgive and move on. Whether they deserve it or not, forgive and move on. We would all agree that God is a God of love, right? If God is a God of love, and you're holding on to that unforgiveness, and watch this, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrongs. Hmm. If God is a God of love, and love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, so we also must keep no record of wrongs. Uh, forgiving releases that wrong done to you. Not that you're going to forget it, right? Things happen and you're not going to forget what happened, but you have to release that wrong. You have to let it go you can't keep a record of it and keep dwelling on it. It ain't going to do no good. And if you're still dwelling on it, you probably never did forgive the person anyways, right? Dr. Tony Evans, he's a pastor down in Texas. I wasn't going to do this, but I think sometimes people have a hard time dealing with letting things go. And he gave a good analogy. He said those old church bells and those big churches, they used, to have this, they used to have them old big bells and somebody would have to go up there with a rope And they'd have to swing it, ding, dong, ding, dong. As long as they held on to it, ding, dong. But as soon as they let go, ding, dong, ding, dong. So you couldn't hear it anymore. That is what unforgiveness is, or forgiveness is. That is what the analogy is. When you let go of it, you will quit dwelling on it. And that's what God says we're supposed to do. So we must also keep no record of wrongs. And if we keep no record of wrongs, and you are forgiving, you're acting in the greatest commandment that God gave you and I for each other, which is First 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Earlier in my testimony, remember that person who wronged me? Do you know who that person was? It was Branson. It was my brother-in-law. Same guy I'm going into ministry with. Do you know the first person to ask for forgiveness and call me up? You know who that was? That was Branson. I don't share this to embarrass Branson or to glorify what happened. I share this testimony because these events really had to happen to Branson and John. Listen, God didn't force us to act the way we did, to say the things we did, but he did allow it. A godly anointed man, evangelist by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, once said this, A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. For an experience of God that costs something is worth something, and it does something. God's word says that all things work together according to those who love him and are called to his purpose. God has used Branson to disciple me. And in a way, he sticks closer than a brother. He sent me a text this morning. He said, one of the last things he said, he said, I've got your back. Oh, I could start cutting laps right now. You don't even understand. The healing that God has done and only through God He has healed our family. He has healed the relationships. We're serving God together. What a better testimony. But it started with forgiving. It's going to happen to you. If it hasn't happened to you, get ready. You are going to get wronged, and it may be be a big one. But you have to be ready to forgive. God says we're supposed to do it. This ain't John telling you. This is what God's Word says. We have to forgive. In closing, there was one man who demonstrated forgiveness the best. His name was Jesus. In Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Church, if it was good enough for the Son of God to forgive us while we were yet sinners, it's good enough for us to forgive others whether they have asked for it or not. In any type of trespass. If it's good enough for the Son of God, it's good enough for us.